exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Nina Angela Lee. And we actually met through a mutual friend introducing us. So that's like, yay for referrals, right? (laughs) Eric Aroka said you were awesome. And I presume he said I was awesome. So I love networking and we totally had a wonderful time talking about makeup, but today we're going to be talking about Nina and her book and all the fun things that she has going on and getting to know Nina even better and introducing her to all of you. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and say the things. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, you were, you were fun and we had fun energy together. And that's like my one qualification to being on my show is you have to be able to talk to me. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a really limited pool of people that, you know, because it wants to be fun conversations. Wonderful. Well, I am a certified grief recovery specialist, an international speaker, a singer songwriter, and now a best selling author of the book 21 Ways to Support Those Who Are Grieving. Yes. And this reminds me how um, I felt when you told me the title of your book, because I was like, dang it, I wanted to have a comprehensive list in my book that I'm working on. So now I'll just have to reference your book um, <laughs> because people, um, those of us who've lost someone, a lot of times, you know, they'll be like, what should I say? And I'm like, you just take them by the hand and you say, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, don't preach to them what you think, what you know. Um, say the things that you think are comforting. Like, isn't it such a comfort to know you'll get to hold them again? No, not really. Cause I still got 60 years to go in this life. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure your book, no wonder it's a bestseller because I get asked that question. Um, oh, there, I can't even, I don't even know how many times I've been asked that question. Mm, sure. You know, just what do I do? And it's, you know, just be empathy, but don't preach would be my simple answer. So what's one of your tips of what to say? One of my favorite is not to say anything at all, but to listen. Yeah. One of the fears of people who've lost someone they love is that that person's going to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe mm-hmm. yep. to Tell me a little bit about the one you love. Yeah. And let them share and keep those memories alive. That means so much to someone who's grieving. Absolutely. I um, I have a handful of people that the day or two before my daughter that passed birthday messaged me. And it meant so much to me that I've started 
I've got probably 40 notifications in my phone of recognizing angel moms that Mm -hmm. I will message them on, you know, texting or social media. And the other day, um, somebody said I was the only one who recognized it. Oh, and I was just like, oh, crap. Mm -hmm. you know, and I get a lot of people who recognize my daughter's death because I'm very open about it, but not all personalities will post on their child's birthday will post on their child's return to God day, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it just, um, it's just a simple little service. It takes me less than 30 seconds Mm -hmm. to, you know, I put it in my phone at 6am because I'm never doing anything at 6am. That's where I put my to do's that have to happen at some point in that day. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's crazy about that mom is I just had a really crazy day and I was in bed and I was just double checking as I was winding down that I had done the things I needed to do that day. And if so, moving the t- them to the next day, mm-hmm. right. You know, that happens. Mm-hmm. And I realized I hadn't recognized her. And that morning in my morning prayer, I, you know, prayed for, her. so I just, I said, you know, I'm thinking of you today. And it's just a really crazy day. And I'm sorry it's so late by the time I let you know that I was thinking of you. Mm -hmm. And um, I was the only one who'd recognized it. And she was so thankful. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing that you do. Well, I do it because other people did it for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's something that's simple to, I, I love simple little services that you could do. It just takes a little bit of organization. Sure. You know, but I can predictably do a 30 second service, <laughs> you know, but it just to be organized, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I love that. Um, say nothing, which is obviously not my skill set, but, you know, <laughs> listening um, and connecting with people on that level. That's really um, keeping the memories alive. I totally agree with that. Now, remind me, even though I know, but I, I should say, tell the audience your connection with, with death and loss? Well, it began when I was 12 years old and my mother passed away after injuries she sustained from a car accident. And it was interesting that the world seemed to go on as normal as usual. Right. And, And it was like, there's this huge hole in my world and nobody addressed it. You know, my father was doing the best he could to survive, I'm sure. Um, but it, it, no one addressed the pain that I was feeling. So no therapist for you. Now we're around the same age, aren't we? I'm, I'm 50 in September. I'm, I'm a tad older. Yes. I'm about 59. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I'm trying to think, I don't think there was a lot of psychologists doing that for kids when I was young either. Mm -mm. I'm trying to, I know my mother's mantra was you're a kid. You don't have real feelings, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is definitely not, definitely not true. You know, that outside, I always say outside the feeling of grief, the most intense feelings I ever felt were as a child. Mm-hmm. of anger, rejection, hurt, you know, shame, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So your mother died when you were 12. Nobody talked to you about it. Nobody mm-hmm. listened to you. Mm-hmm. And then I thought maybe it was because I was a kid that that nobody really approached me about it. And, and then five years ago, my son 
following a 17-year health battle, passed away. And I remember feeling this exodus of people. And mm-hmm. I thought how strange that that this felt like it was happening again. And I didn't really understand why until I had a friend call me and she said, I am so sorry it has taken me so long to reach out, but I was so worried about saying the wrong thing and hurting you more that I chose to do nothing at all. And I thought, oh my goodness, she's such a kind, compassionate person that there, there's a disconnect here. And, right. and I heard that from my grief clients over and over again, that people would just not engage with them after their loss. And I thought, we have to bridge this gap. If people are not sure what to say and do to help those who are hurting, then in my own little way, I wanted to do something about that. And that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. And I, I love it because it's one, it just says right from the title, we know what it's going to do. And it's going to give people 21 options of how they can go forward and you have um, been counseling people for how many years in grief? Uh, this is my third year. Yeah. So you've got three years of experience plus a lifetime. <laughs> you know, I can't do the math that fast, but from 12 on of how grief impacts, how grief hits you. I, um, I had my best friend, I was going to marry him. We were in, um, he died in the second grade, you know, so that's what our deep romance was. Mm-hmm. His name was JD Winterton and he died in a car accident with his father. And every day I played with him on the playground every day. And he was a cowboy and I was an Indian princess and it was, it was meant to be, you know? And um, when he died, everybody acted like they were JD's best friend. Mm-hmm. And I remember standing in a big group of kids that they were unveiling a portrait of a cowboy in honor of JD and everybody's, you know, crying. And I remember just kind of being like, but I was with him every day. Mm-hmm. And so when you talked about that, um, I'm guessing there's a certain amount of what we knew about kids resilience, you know, cause kids figure out a way to survive. But I always hate that when people say kid or kids are resilient, they figure it out. No, they just keep living, mm-hmm. you know, but they become broken and hurt, you know, and, you know, people are like, I wonder why mental health is on the rise. I'm like, because we're not having deep conversations. Because we're exposing children to everything. And our children start what I call loading their grief backpack. Mm. When it's not talked about, it's just another rock put in their grief backpack. Whether a pet that they've lost or a move, all those things, it doesn't have to be death that creates grief in us. And if we're not allowed to share and work through those things, they accumulate over time and become very heavy if we don't address them. See, just your very tone is like a therapist. You know, (laughs) you just have like this. And so, you know, and I'm, 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 I can't even do it, but the, the listener heard it. It was just like, this is okay. This is okay that this hurts. And 
it's very effective to um, giving yourself some grace. Absolutely. You know, I have um, a, a family that's connected with me and I'm not allowed to say because they don't want to be public, you know, mm-hmm. of how and they have lost a child. And it's it was interesting to me because I had people like you that people left. Mm-hmm. And some of them left with saying you chose to kill your daughter. So to me, unforgivable statements. My daughter was on life support and we removed life support before she was electrocuted by her own body. Mm. So she was going to die. We just let her die. Not at the surgeon's hand and mm. not in a painful, hideous way. And so there were people who judged us for that. And obviously that was very painful. Um, but, you know, I wanted, I wanted people around me. Mm-hmm. And so the people that left, um, frankly, I let them stay gone, <laughs> you know, cause I'm like, if you can't be, I have a joke that says, if you can't be supportive around the death of a child, you probably aren't a really like, if you can't be nice, can't be supportive. You're not those things. Mm-hmm. No matter how you describe yourself as, oh, I'm supportive. I'm nice. No, you know, mm-hmm. muster up. Even if silence, at least don't be unkind. Sure. Absolutely. So anyway, this family that I'm connected to have um, been angry. They have been very angry with everyone. And um, I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like especially me because I have chosen to go. I've chosen to deal with my daughter's death in a happy way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've received a lot of judgment over the years. Oh, you must not have loved your daughter very much if you're choosing to go forward. You know, things, comments like that, that are just kind of, can kind of brush off. But this other family I love and I'm connected to and the child that passed. Um, uh, you know, it's really hard. You know, we're all, we're all sad and we're all grieving and we've been cut out. And so with your your research and your experience, what is the advice to someone like me who's dealing with somebody who's angry grieving? That's a tough one for sure. That's got to be so hard. My advice is to keep loving them. Just keep loving them. Those small acts of service that I know that you do already those do make a difference and they're on their own journey. Yeah. You know, and their timing and there is no set guidelines for grieving and no one expects you to lose a child, especially. And so the best thing you can do is truly just still love them. Which I think is a really important point that you brought up that those I think people often say, you know, well, they'll get over it. Mm. And um, I don't think death is something we're meant to get over. And I think that was by design because the gift of it is we, we keep the memory, we keep the lesson, you know, we're not um, like, I have two cats and we have one that just passed Mm. and I don't think the cats are upset. Mm. You know, I think there was like a little bit of a, where's the other cat? Sure. But then they're, they're kind of competing for who's going to be the new alpha. Mm-hmm. Right. right. They, animals process death differently, except for elephants and some rare exceptions. Right. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because there's a competition for resources mm-hmm. you know, in the animal instinct, right? Yeah. So for humans, um, we I think it was designed that we hold on to those we lost at a certain point to remember the lesson, to cherish that wisdom, to cherish that memory. And I think to eventually, you know, that that's why heaven's a nice idea, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. if it were just, uh, we're dead and we're gone because, you know, the lion got us and um, what there, it takes a lot of purpose away from life. Sure. You know, but every religion that's existed has some definition of the afterlife and that has brought people peace. But I think just in this life, just in here and now, the gift of the lessons and the impact of those that we've lost and how they enhance our daily life, I don't think we're ever meant to get over it. Right. Now, so it's such a weird phrase that they said, you'll, you'll get over it. True. I, I don't think anyone ever truly gets over it. You move forward with them. And that's that's the best that that we can do. And it it's a beautiful thing to to treasure those memories and be grateful for those lessons and moments with our loved one. Yeah. I had a grandmother figure that lived with us till I was eight. Mm. And one of the greatest compliments, she wasn't my actual grandmother, you know, Um, but she was my mother's retired. She was a retired school teacher and had basically spent all of her money raising foster kids. Oh, beautiful. And um, came to help my mom after an accident that my mom had been in and did all the domestic stuff and and gave me milk and cinnamon rolls. So to this day, if you give me a milk and cinnamon rolls, I'm like your best friend. Um, and then they'll be like, all oh, the cinnamon rolls come to my house. Anyway, um, that anyway, she loved and was kind. But anyway, one of the greatest compliments I ever got was I was about, I don't know, probably 12 or 13. And I was in the town that she had been a school teacher in, which was a small town. And someone says, did you ever know Winnie Carroll? And I said, yes, yes. She was my roommate. You know, Mm -hmm. she lived with us when she died. And they said, well, what you just did was like Winnie Carroll. And I was like, what, what did I just do? And um, I don't remember what it is that they said, because I was a young kid and I didn't write it down, but I remembered (laughs) that. And I've since wondered, what is the thing that I do that's like Winnie Carroll? Mm -hmm. You know, that there's a part of me that was so heavily influenced because she lived with us from when I was two and a half to eight, um, you know, about three to eight, um, what a gift she was in my life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just kind of a a cool thing of how they never really leave us. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know? Yeah. So now that I've shared half the people I've lost in my life, you know, (laughs) um, do your does your book address those that we lose tragically? Because you've lost two, you know, one to an accident, one to an early death. Do you address like when we lose somebody to, to um that die by suicide? Do you address that kind of thing in your book? I do touch on those things, yes. Yeah, well, that's good. Cause those are the 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 accidents, the early deaths, those are so you know the, the why, 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 why to the heavens kind of thing. And, um, I don't think those questions are necessarily meant to be answered, except that we live in a, a life that 
has a fair amount of chance to it. Mm. True. You know, that any of us are walking around that we're born with everything we need, Mm -hmm. which I had an 8% chance of having children survive pregnancy, meaning to be born. Really? Yes. And so the research and the studying that went into what I could possibly do, which was nothing. Mm -hmm. It was just how the sperm and the egg went together and what DNA they made, what of my DNA that they took, because I have a translocation in my DNA. And so of my two living children, both of them take after my husband after 10 pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, the one that took after me, she's got a sturdy barrel chest, which is a trait of my family, which I work really hard to showcase my hourglass figure as much as possible, but it's a barrel chest. (laughs) You know, know, we were, we were built sturdy. Um, But, you know, she took after me too much and had too many organs that had issues, but um, you know, to realize how many things are not on our diet, on our, our lifestyle, or not what kind of pills we take, none of that. What a miracle that any of us have all of our parts. True. And more often than not, we all have our parts. Mm-hmm. You know, birth defects are relatively rare, mm-hmm. you know, um, and miscarriages after a certain point are relatively rare, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just such a miracle in every sense of the word that we are born, you know, and nowadays, um, you know, they used to, in some cultures, they used to not name children until they were four or five because their mm-hmm. chances of living were so low. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you would, you can look at records and see that women had, you know, 12, 16 kids and four of them lived to adulthood. That's crazy. I, I'm just like, man, uh, you know, which actually kind of brought me some peace that women throughout history have done this, mm-hmm. you know, and if women throughout history have lost and buried a child and I did that after everything that was medically possible was done, then mm-hmm. I should be able to handle this well. Right. Mm-hmm. But you see how I brought some purpose and meaning into how I processed it. And that's why when you look at accidents, it's like, oh, but, you know, we all get in the car every day and we don't realize the, the risks where there's a higher, it feels like there's a higher risk of a car accident happening than a birth defect. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, that's a Google statistic I will have to research, but it feels, <laughs> it feels true. <laughs> you know, there's a higher incident of, you know, living when you live in certain parts of the country, I used to sell security systems and there were five to six break-ins every night in this little town Mm. every night. Wow. So I just, all I had to do was go to those neighborhoods where they had the Mm break-ins, but yet I only know one person who lost a child in the whole time I lived there. Mm. Yeah. So um, it feels like birth is more common than death, even when we know it's the other way around, right? It's just a matter of, of when. 
Well, you, you certainly don't expect it. I mean, my son was so active, snowboarding and uh, rollerblading. He's so active. And he came home when he was 14 and he kind of leaned up against the wall and said he wasn't feeling well. And as I walked towards him, though, I could see the whites of his eyes were yellow. Mm. I'm like, ooh, something is wrong. I didn't know what. So I took him to the doctor. The doctor took one look at him and said, go to the hospital. Mm. And so I, I really thought that once we got there, they would fix him and everything would be okay. Right. he went in for a biopsy and in the surgical waiting room, I kept watching the surgeons come out to the different people, loved ones saying, okay, the procedure went well, they'll be in recovery. And so this pattern was evolving and I kept waiting and waiting. It was longer, much longer than they said it was going to be. And for me, the surgeon came out flanked by three other people. Uh-oh. Nope. The more doctors, the bad news. And instead of talking to me in the waiting room, they said, we would like you to join us in the conference room. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. And sure enough, when I sat down, they pushed the Kleenex box towards me. I'm like, (laughs) it's like a dramatic scene from a overwritten TV show. Oh, Yeah, and, I was a medical interpreter for the deaf and I in a hospital setting and would have never pushed the tissue box towards someone until they started crying. It's like, it's gonna be really bad. So I don't have any words to say. So I'm giving you the tissue box. Yeah, that's I'm really sorry. Oh. And then they said that they found that he had an incurable autoimmune disease and that it has attacked his liver. And they handed me a preparing for liver transplant packet. And it was, I hardly. So if it's incurable and it's attacking his liver, why are they, would they do a transplant? They said that it would only buy him some time and he would only get a liver if no one else was ready in that moment when the liver became available. Well, that's kind of a false hope. Very very (laughs) small chance that he was very long waiting list of people who are waiting for these organs don't need it. Then your kid can, but he better be ready. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so then entered many years of. Okay. I'm sorry. Let me, let me tell you, finish the story because it's just so many questions. Um, So he, um, the liver bounced back a little bit after they started putting on him on anti-rejection medication mm-hmm. and he would go, so he did get, he did get a liver. He eventually got a liver and wow. it bought him five years, which we are just. Yes. Right. So years. Yeah, absolutely. Years. And finally his body just, got tired. It hit other organs. He had had multiple, uh, multiple, multiple surgeries trying to repair the damage that his own body was doing to it. And 
finally, uh, it was his time to go. And he passed the whole entire time because he was 14 when he got diagnosed with this, right? Mm -hmm. Did he even understand what, what that meant when they said incurable? In the beginning, uh, I mean, we had the conversation, but he didn't really ever want to talk about it. And so we didn't until it got closer to the end. And I just wanted to see what he wanted to do. I mean, after the doctors left the room saying, okay, we've done everything we can do. And his time is, is close. You know, I turned to him and said, all right, you have a short time to live. What do you want to do with the time? Wow. Wow. So in that, um, that 14, so he was 17 years later. So he's 31, 30, 32, 32. Wow. That was the close math for me. I I feel like I should get a round of applause for that. Um, Was he able to live actively, even though he had those surgeries, was he able to do the things he enjoyed or did he completely have to back away from all normal teenage activities? He had periods of remission where life almost seemed normal. He -hmm. would go do the things he wanted to do and it was great. And then it would rear its ugly head again. And the pain level made it so he couldn't do those things he wanted to. And so the grieving process for him started years before he passed away. The first time he wanted to go snowboarding, but his body wouldn't allow it. Yeah. It was grief there. It's um, it, nothing on the same parallel, but you know, the human brain makes connections to what it knows, which I always joke is the example of sympathy gone awry mm-hmm. is, you know, somebody's crippling down the, lo- the road and they go, oh yeah, I had a broken leg once, mm-hmm. you know, um, my son, we were about to be in a car accident, you know, like I could see that we were going to be hit, you know, like, you know how your brain goes really fast. Mm-hmm. And my, my thought was, you know, to not have him, if like, if someone's going to get hurt, have it be me mm-hmm. because I, you know, he was a young man. And so as a mom, you know, my heart's breaking with you because, um, you know, to see your, your teenage kid, not be able to live a normal teenage life like they would want to is a is an instinct that we want them to have. I mean, if I felt that in that second, that split of a second when I see in my river mirror that the cars have stopped and that car is not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which was, you know, in the end, end a very minor, um, you know, fender bender. I mean, my car was not happy about it, but, you know, we were okay. You know, I got whiplash, which I got my wish, by the way, I, I got severe whiplash and my son was fine. <laughs> it's all right. Um, which is what I wanted, you know, I would have chosen that, but I think any mom out there can identify with, um, and, and have, um, her heart ripped out hearing that story that he could have normal periods and then couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he, he fell in love. He got married and bless her heart. I, I sat down with her. I'm like, you need to know the, the road this is. And, and that was a hard conversation. Yeah. Um, but they got married. Um, he became a father 
And, and that, that was hard watching him want so desperately to be a certain kind of father yeah, and not being able to physically be there when he wanted to be there. And, you know, to watch that decline and watch my grandchildren watching him. Um, it was, it was difficult yeah. all the way around. How many, how many children do you have, Nina? I have six. So the, um, the other nieces and nephews, were they able to comprehend what was happening? They were all much younger. So okay. And how old was um, your son's child when he passed? Uh, she was, what was she? Seven. Wow. Um, has your daughter-in-law remarried? She has a significant other. <laughs> and is this significant other going to let you guys stay in the family permanently? You know, it's, it's a interesting dynamic there. We, um, there's a, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Well, whenever, whenever you, my son's getting married and we absolutely adore his fiance. It's like, it's like, um, I guess tomorrow it's a month because it's June 3rd. Um, and we love her family, but I'm already seeing, and I'm, and I'm sure they've already seen because my husband and I are very big personalities. Um, me, especially, I'm sure they're just kind of like, oh my crap, what is this? <laughs> you know, I'm very public. They're very private. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling my son, I said, because we ran into a couple where he's from Colombia and she is from, I guess, Utah. I, I didn't ask what state she's from, but she's American. And they were talking about melding these different cultures together. Mm. And I tapped my son. And I said, you just marry from two different families and you're melding two cultures together. Sure. And part of me wants my son to live in my basement forever, which he's not planning on living in my basement at all. And, you know, I have three floors. So one floor could be for my son, one floor for us, one floor for our daughter. When she gets ready to see how I've got my whole <laughs> zombie apocalypse plan. But um, anyway, I gave him the advice. I said, the best thing you can do is to go and, you know, be a couple, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. let your families be on the periphery, even though I'm like, no. So I'm hoping that this, if she ends up marrying this, um, this individual that you still get to be grandparents. Mm -hmm. I think we will. I'm good. If I put my vote in, everyone raise your hand. If this is your vote. Okay. Um, (laughs) hundreds of people just raise their hand and vote that you get to still be a grandparent. Yeah. I get, luckily I do get to see her like twice a year and, you know, just squeeze her and it, it's good. It's a good thing. Yeah. Only twice a year. She lives out of state. Oh, I was like, but you get to talk to her, like oh, yes. FaceTime and all that. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm like, nowadays we have technology. We don't have to send it by Pony Express. You yes. Know? Well, fun little games we play on the phone, which I never expected <laughs> to do these little games over the phone, but it's, it's fun. Like what kind of games are you playing? It has both of our pictures and these donuts will f- like fall and you open your mouth and you try oh. to grab the donuts. Oh, that's hilarious. But we're talking about how, how long, how old is this young one? This little girl. Well, now she's, oh goodness. She's just turned 14. 
Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, you know, the age between seven and 14 was what I was thinking are, you know, you don't want to have these deep conversations per se, but you want to do stuff together. Oh yes. You know, and uh, you know, my, my parents, there's a complicated history, but uh, they never wanted to do anything with the grandkids except what they wanted to do. Mm. And now as adults, my kids are not interested for various reasons, but I, you know, it's like, you didn't do stuff with them. Mm. You know, you didn't go to their games. You didn't go to their concerts. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you know, it was, you know, help me do this, do this for me. And I'm going to go do this thing. If you want to come with me, mm. you know? And so it's like, you know, those are little relationship deposits mm-hmm. that you're putting in that will help you be an awesome girl. Cause when, you know, she's 20 and she'll be like, Oh my crap, I can't believe that grandma played that silly game with me. That was the <laughs> sweetest thing. <laughs> and every time she sees a donut, she's gonna be like, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we get to do fun things like, you know, go up to her dance recitals. And when I see her doing anything musical, to me, that's just like a little heavenly hug because my son was so musical. Oh, I love it. And so to see, you know, those similarities is... is even just recognizing what they're doing, you know, with the social media, you know, I'm so proud of you. This is so great. You know, a card, a message, you oh, know, sure. those are, when you're out of state, those are attendants. Mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. watch the watch the grainy video <laughs> I love those videos that you're like you know they're shaking all around yes <laughs> and sometimes when I'm watching those videos of somebody's kid and I'm like this this is ant status you know <laughs> that I'm watching this shaky video so but I posted many of my own shaky videos so um you know thank you to all of those who've watched those of my kids <laughs> Uh, you know, cause you're just, ah, oh, man, you know, it, it's, um, one of the things that I, um, I'm talking about in my book that I'm working on about my, my daughter's life and death. And it's more about how we processed it and move forward and, and found, um, happy life, you know, mm-hmm. um, is that I, the awareness that there would never be a perfect time. Mm. And we were, I was, you know, doing a, we were in Disneyland and we told the younger kids, you know, we told her siblings that it was Caitlin's idea that we go to Disneyland. So we're in Disneyland and I'm at the top of this roller coaster. And I was like, even here, even in this moment, even in this moment of anticipated thrill, it still is this on my heart. And as I looked at that and analyzed that, I realized what a gift it was. Mm. There's so many people, we waste our lives being like, when I'm 12, when I'm 16, when I'm 20, when I get to have this job, when I, when I'm married, when I'm, you know, and we, we keep having these mile markers. Oh, when I make a certain amount of money, when I've traveled to such and such place, you know, then I will be a success. Then I'll be happy. You know, the, if thens that we do. And I believe that one of the gifts of death is to remind us how it could all just be very different tomorrow. I completely agree with that. That is definitely the purpose of life is to go from an if then seeking accomplishment and prestige and validation to perfect moments, Mm -hmm. perfect moments of connection. Mm -hmm. And that is what I seek out in my day-to-day life. And so people will be like, Lita, what's the next big thing you're working on? And there might be, you know, business things that I'm kind of doing, but 
you know, really it's just each day I'm thinking, how can I connect deeply with my spouse? Mm. How can I have really good eyeball time with my kid with Mm. all the distractions of work and running charity and that I have ADD and I I love doing all the things all the time, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. how with, you know, all of the things that make up our day-to-day lives. And I make sure that if this were my last day, that the lady I ran into in the grocery store felt seen. Mm. Beautiful. My daughter, my son, you know, how do I do that? That's Mm. a good life. I love that. And that's a big lesson. And I have been happier because of it. Mm. I would agree with that in my own life. Life is life is temporary. And, Mm. you know, if you are religious or uh, you a reader of CS Lewis, you know, that everyone you've ever met, I'm slaughtering his quote, but I love it. And everyone you've ever met from the, you know, the, 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 you know, people in parliament to the bum on the street are all gods and goddesses. And I'm slaughtering the quote, but it's, you know, we all have the same eternal value Mm -hmm. and love all of us from the lady that lived in the middle ages and lived in fear of being hunted out by Vikings to the lady in the C-suite today. Mm-hmm. We all have the same eternal value. So true. And it makes death very painful for us left behind. Yet, if we all have the same value, there's a purpose to it. We just don't get all the answers right now. Right. I agree. Because if I knew everything, I would probably be a completely different person. And what fun would that be? (laughs) True, true. (laughs) You know, I would say all the right things at the right time (laughs) instead of the awkward things that I, uh, you know, I just kind of say the things, right? Oh, okay. Give us some other, other wisdom, Nina. What's another tip in your book? Well, one of the things is if you look at people and think that almost everyone you come across is fighting some kind of hard battle, we would treat them different. And that it doesn't take something really big and planned out to really bless the lives of everyone. There was this elderly gentleman I met Decades ago, I was in a hurry, dropped my kids off at school, was going into a doctor's office, and he was coming out, walking rather slowly. And as we got closer, I said, good morning, in passing, and he stopped. And I thought maybe he was going to ask me a question or something. And Uh he said, thank you. Thank you so much. I really needed your smile today. Oh. And and then he started walking down the, the rest of the path towards his car. And I sat in the waiting room and I thought to myself, why did he need my smile today? Yeah. Did he just hear some difficult news? Does he have a sweetheart at home that he's caring for? Yeah. Is he alone? Is he alone? Exactly. So all these different scenarios played through my mind. And I thought, if just a smile 
could brighten his day. Oh my goodness, we can all do that. We can all smile and and lift people with just that. Just that compliment to what I was just saying. And that's what actually kind of led to this podcast is um, prior to my daughter's life and after her death, um, I would encourage my children to be kind when we're out in public. I mean, which is just a spillover for being kind in the home, but there's never an excuse to, you know, be treating someone badly, you know, and everybody's had the kid that, you know, the kid that points to somebody and says something awkward about that person, Mm -hmm. you know? And so my kid one time pointed to somebody who was very overweight and the person heard it. And I walked my kid over and I said, I'm sorry, what was your name? And asked their name. And I said, I'm so sorry that I have not taught my daughter that it's okay to have physical differences like this. And she goes, it's all right. I'm really fat. And I was like, yeah, but we don't, we don't address people by their outward characteristics. Mm-hmm. We address people by who they are. And so then we had to have this big conversation and, you know, I mean, the, my daughter was just exploring the world. So I wasn't shaming my daughter. I was teaching my daughter a deeper level mm-hmm. of seeing people. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, um, both my kids are this way, um, but my daughter has literally been kicked out of groups of friends for being the one that won't side against someone. Mm. And my son was a student body officer, so he was the one that could turn the group to see the kid. But my daughter hasn't quite had the social um, bandwidth or street cred that he had. So Mm -hmm. she's been experience being isolated because she's been the one that won't kick someone out. So she gets kicked out with them, you know, in teenage drama. And mm-hmm. I'm so proud of her for that. Mm-hmm. So proud of her for that because we all need to be seen. And I was the kid that um, had dirty hair. No one had taught me how to wash my hair, frankly, how to do any personal hygiene at all. No one instructed me on any of that. And so I was awkward looking, plus I didn't have all my front teeth and I wore um, whatever clothes could be found and none of them really matched mm-hmm. and free, and laundry was not done. So I was dirty. And, you know, I, the older I got, the more I could look back and go, oh, I probably smelled quite a bit. And the neighbor lady brought over deodorant one day to me and she said um, she had about eight deodorants and she goes, I remember when I was your age trying to figure out which deodorant was my favorite. Hmm. And I didn't know. And so I had to try all of them. And I just thought it would be fun if you told me which one was your favorite. Hmm. And then I, when I told her every month, I got a new deodorant. Oh. And it wasn't until I was much older that I realized what she'd done. She realized I was being made fun of for how I smelled, how I looked. And she didn't have a lot of money, but she could afford deodorant for me. What a beautiful Mm -hmm. service. And later she ended up being quite wealthy. And I just think that's how it works out. That when you can see the little things, you're blessed with more. The Bible talks about that, right? Mm -hmm. It was a good steward of... um, what we are given, we are given more. And if that's the gift of seeing others, which I think death as we've obviously shared with, and we're sharing helps us, it helps you see the old man, you know, 
it it helps us see and love and connect with people in a way that we wouldn't if life were permanent. Mm-hmm. If if everything was just some perfect utopia where nobody was ever unkind and no death never existed, well, what would be the challenge? Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. so it ends up in some extent help us to see and connect and love on the not the not the getting over it, but when we start digging into the lessons of grief. Mm-hmm. Sure. But we get to be in that tsunami form of grief where it just hits you and you have a hard time keeping your footing for the time we need to be, right? Right. You know. And I, I would just suggest that that people keep checking on those who are grieving. Sometimes after the funeral and everyone goes home, um, there is there is a need there. So keep checking in sending a text, pick up the phone and call them, invite them out to lunch. That will help a lot. Yeah. Even if from what you were saying earlier, even if those invitations are rejected, which is what we're experiencing. Absolutely. Making them, Mm -hmm. you know? And so when you said that, I was like, okay, I mean, we've probably made 20 invitations that have been rejected. Mm -hmm. Um, A six month period. Well, we'll just keep making them. Yes. So I thought I'll put my little thought when you said that was I need to put a calendar reminder in Mm because that's how my brain works at 6 a.m. to make a make another invitation, make another invitation, make another invitation. And it may not seem like it's making a difference, but I can promise you it is. Well, and as you I think you pointed out in this that it doesn't matter if our if it is accepted or not, mm-hmm. it's that we're seeing, it's that we're caring, it's that we're loving. Yes. You know, that we're that we're trying. Right? That's the purpose. Oh man, this this was those that are listening, I'm sure you're thinking of um your loved one. And uh, you know, um uh the the ability Nina was talking about, you know, people want to be seen and to be heard and to be listened to with those that have lost, they've lost that, you know, maybe something you can do if you're kind of feeling hit heavy by this episode is to share on social media or with a friend, a memory that you have of someone you've lost. So you can kind of, kind of, because Nina and I were able to do that together. And it was, I feel like that was really sweet that we were able to share some of that. So share about your loved ones. And if people don't want to hear it, they're poopy. (laughs) (laughs) But my daughter's been gone for 14 years. Um, How long has your son been, been, been gone? Five years. Five years. Mm -hmm. And that my posts that I put up about my daughter on her birthday are some of my most liked posts of the year. Still 14 years later. Means a lot to me. In fact, when a post gets even close to being as liked as that, I'm a little bit like, because <laughs> <laughs> I love that those are the most liked posts. And um, so, if you see someone sharing about their grandma that's passed, or their their baby that they lost, or their kids' um, health battle, like it, you know, send a caring emoji, 
let people feel that they are what they're sharing is being connected with and the algorithms are trainable so what you share and what you comment on you'll get to see more of that goodness so if you don't like social media <laughs> you're liking the wrong stuff people right so anyway thank you for this amazing um i'm like i'm like my little heart's like you know so um and uh in the show notes will be a resource to her book how you can reach out to her for um grief support and you can just tell by um how she's presented herself in this episode how how tender nina is and that was my experience with her in person as well it was just like after she left i was like she is just a heart no you're sweet it's true so um thank you for being on this episode of share your hotness do you have any closing remarks you'd like to share just go out there and and share kindness and there will be a a ripple of positivity that the world desperately needs amen to that i have actually have a charity page encouraging that exact thing of kindness and service called ripples of change so we'll have to feature this episode on there as well so thank you so much nina thank you appreciate it